Hello, and welcome to the Get Up and Do Something Uplift podcast series. With us today, we have Richard Jakowitz Jr. Richard is a certified financial planner and chartered financial analyst. He has a master's of science in finance and is currently an instructor at the University of Delaware. He is also the director of the Financial Planning and Wealth Management Program at UD. Richard, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's get started. To kick things off, what is financial literacy? Sure. So I think financial literacy uh, involves having a basic understanding of a few things. So budgeting, um, insurance, savings, investments, retirement planning, taxes. I mean, I could keep going on and on, (laughs) right? But it's really about having some basic understanding in all of these different things, not being an expert in any of them, right? Um, But I think there's an old expression that that you want to know what you don't know. And and that's what a basic understanding gives you, right? You know that there are stocks and bonds out there, but you don't necessarily know what the difference is. But you're smart enough to know that there's two things out there and you can go research it. Um, So I think literacy in any sense, but especially in financial literacy, is having that basic understanding to know what you don't know so that you can research it later on in life when that situation presents itself. Because with financial planning in general, you don't have to deal with all of these things at any given time. It's as life progresses, you know, you guys graduate from college, the first thing you're going to look at is savings. All right, you're going to have to figure that out. And then five years later, you know, maybe you get married and you buy a house and you have to figure that part out. And so then you start saving 10 years after that. So it all happens at various phases in life. So you don't need to know it all, but you want to have a good basic understanding so that when these things present themselves, you can, you can solve for it. Yeah, so it sounds like having a little bit of exposure so you can reference things later on. It is. And then you have, you know, I have an 11-year-old son at home who's an expert at Google, <laughs> right? And he knows how to punch in how to and then insert whatever the keyword is there. And I think <laughs> financial literacy is just knowing that what that keyword is to insert in your Google search. You don't have to be the expert. You just need to know somewhere in, your, in the back of your mind has to be a little alarm that goes off in certain situations that says, hold on, slow down. I remember reading about this. I need to do a search before I make any decisions. Yeah, and that's a great way to phrase it. So how did you become interested in finance and in particular financial literacy? Sure. Um, so I didn't know what finance was growing up. That, that wasn't a term ever used in my household. I grew up with a you know very low-income home um, where money was always an issue. So I guess my first exposure to finance was that we don't have any of it in my house, <laughs> um, which was fine, you know, it, you know, but just going back and thinking about what interested me in finance, it wasn't until I think maybe my second year of college that I learned about it. And the, the actual story was I went to a, a friend's, a college friend's family's home. And I remember walking into their kitchen and there were like 50 cabinets on the kitchen. And I grew up in a house with one cabinet in a small kitchen. And I was just blown away. And I said, you know, what do your parents do? And his response was, my dad does stuff with the stock market. I'm like, that was it. As soon as I left this house, I'm going to go learn about the stock market. Right. And so yeah. for me, that was the aha moment that, I, you know, there's this whole world out there I don't know about and I want to explore more. So that was my introduction into finance. And then from there, I just kind of went with it. Financial literacy, though, I really wasn't, uh, never really put much thought into until about 10 years ago. 
I worked on a, a project for the state of Delaware for the Department of Health and Social Services um, to start up a program that focused on financial literacy. And so that really, that project took about a year and a half to get through. And that gave me a lot of time to really kind of flush out some of these ideas and, and understand that everyone's coming at this from a different background. We're not all on the same playing field when we look at these decisions. Yeah. And that's a really good point that coming from the finance department or finance exposure, now you're partner, partnering with the Department of Health. Those are completely different you know, arenas, people would think. How does financial stability or financial literacy benefit our health and well-being? Yeah. So, you know, in my, well, I won't talk about personal, but with working on that project with the state, it create, you know, this, this lack of financial literacy creates a lot of stress, right? And so that stress leads right into what, what you guys know better than I do, right? And you, you can see the psychological problems that come from that, but Financial instability in its very nature is just another form of stress that creeps into someone's lives. Um, and I, I think, you know, looking back when I was younger, you know, you, you hear your parents talk about this stuff and without knowing it, you've developed a relationship with money subconsciously, whether that relationship's good or bad, depending on the house you grew up in. Um, and those things show up later on in life. So, you know, I think the the biggest thing here is it can either cause stress or it can help with your experiences later on in life. And we all come to it from a different place. And so, you know, I can't say that it's good for everyone or bad for everyone. It's just, we all arrive there differently. Sure. So how is financial literacy taught or how could someone yeah, learn? Yeah. So I think right now though, my, my best guess from what I've gone through is that we learn it from our parents. And again, it's different for all of us. So for me, learning from my parents was just being in the, you know, the living room while they were in the kitchen having a conversation and hearing the conversation. That's where I learned. There was never anyone who sat down with me and said, hey, this is what compound interest is. This is why you need to start saving early. That never happened. Um, and I think that's the case for most of us. There's definitely the exception. Like I work with some students here at U of D who their parents have been talking to them their whole lives about how to invest properly and how to have a successful plan. But I think that's more the exception. Um, I think most of us just kind of subconsciously pick this up along the way from our parents. Some high schools are now doing courses uh, in economics, at least, and some in personal finance. You see that more in the schools down south than you do the schools up north. And some colleges have started offering personal finance classes um, to any student in the school. Right? Wow. rather than just saying, hey, we're going to teach finance to finance kids. Um, yeah. So you mentioned being exposed to your parents. Should parents be more willing to talk about this in front of their children? Yeah, so that comes down to having a healthy relationship with money. Um, my personal story, it was a very unhealthy relationship with money. With my son today, we talk about it all the time. Um, a good example is, you know, we, whenever we go hiking, we have talks. And so on one talk, I explained to him how the banking system worked. And it was within a few weeks, he had a quiz at school. His school, <laughs> wow. yeah, his school teaches personal finance. And one of the questions in the quiz was, how does a checking account work? Well, he answered that question with the most robust perspective of someone who runs a bank. <laughs> and the teacher marked it wrong, right? Wow. The teacher was looking for some question or some response like, oh, you put money in the account? It's it earns interest, you write checks, and 
his res- yeah. his response to the question was, well, banks take deposits and make loans and they earn interest off the spread, which if you understand banking, that's a legitimate answer. But uh, so long story short, yes, parents should be talking about this with their children. Um, in my case, we started talking about it with my son, I think when he was eight. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what prevents us from being financially stable? Uh, I think, I think at the end of the day, we control when it comes to money, this might sound odd, but you control what matters most, which is your behavior. It's, it's really simple things that give you financial stability. It's not complex things. So it's really simple things like every paycheck having $100 automatically route to a different account where you don't spend it, right? It's really simple things like discipline. Um, I think a lot of people have this preconceived idea that financial stability is all about being an expert at analyzing investments. And honestly, that matters very little, right? Your ability to pick a good investment or to pick the next Amazon or the next Apple <laughs> really just doesn't matter, right? There, there are investments out there that you can use that just eliminate that whole that whole process or that whole decision. Um, things like mutual funds, for example. So you don't have to be an expert at, at picking investments, but to be stable, you have to control your your behavior. I think um, probably the if there's one message I can leave this podcast with is that you control what matters most, which is how you act. Yeah, and that's such a nice tie into health and wellness, just because behavior is such a controllable thing for individuals. It's one thing they truly have their own control over. Yeah. So I have a financial planning business that I do here as well. And when client, when potential clients come and sit with me and we have a meeting, should, you know, they're trying to figure out if they should become a client or not. And I always tell them, look, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before. You're, if you're going to engage with me to work as your financial planner, I'm there to keep you from doing something to harm yourself. Right. I'm not there to be a miniature Warren Buffett, or the, you know, that's not, that's really not what this is about. It's really about, um, it's really about behavior. It's really about, you know, a good example when the stock market crashes, right? It always crashes. Mm-hmm. It has to crash. That's just the very nature. Some people will panic and they start selling their investments. That's really poor behavior, right? Um, controlling your behavior would be to look at that same situation and go, wow, the stock market has dropped 20%. Wouldn't this be a great opportunity to buy stock? Right. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, that that's the point I'd like to make here is about the behavior. So it's good to hear that it ties in well with, with what you're studying here at U of Day. Yeah, definitely. We hear that a lot in health and wellness. So you just brought up the stock market. That was a great example. What should be the first step for someone who wants to improve their finances? They were looking to make that first step. Read. That's the, the one thing I can tell you. Um, so when I first learned about this, uh, in college, the same house that I was at, I asked my buddy to put me in contact with his dad and his advice to me was read. So I'm going to pass that advice along. It's just read as much as you can. Today we have podcasts. I'm sure there's some really good personal finance podcasts that are out there, um, that you could listen to, but it's not about, you know, you're not reading, you're not listening to these things to become the expert at finance. You're reading and you're listening to these things so that somewhere in your head, you're learning the basics somewhere in your head subconsciously. You're going to recall later on in life. Oh, that podcast did mention 
there's a difference between an IRA and a 401k. I don't know what it is. I'm going to figure it out. But if that, if that pause doesn't happen, that's where bad decisions come in. And so by just listening and reading somewhere subconsciously in your head, that information can recall at a future date that I need to Google what's the difference between an IRA and a 401k before I make this move. Right. That exposure we talked about earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to reference it. Yeah. So for a lot of college students and even, you know, young adults, older um, adults in the workforce, can you explain to us if credit is important or not? So absolutely. So, and here's why it's so important. Once you screw this up, if you screw this up, (laughs) it's really hard to undo it. Right. And so we all have credit scores. The bank ranks everyone. I'm sure you guys know this stuff, right? The bank ranks everyone. They give you some number between three and 300. And I think 800 eight, or something, maybe yeah. 850, something like that. So the higher the number, the better is the bottom line. Um, as soon as you do something that negatively impacts that, maybe you're late on paying bills, right? And they lower your score. You can't raise the score by just being on time the next time you pay your bill, right? And so it's going to take years to get that number back up. And here's where it impacts you at at a financial level. Um, I just ran a little example before I came over here. Let's say you're going to go buy a Camry, right? And Camry right now costs 24,000 bucks. So you take out a five-year loan to buy that Camry. If your credit score is good, that comes out to 450 bucks a month. So every month, $450 to have that Camry. Mm -hmm. If you had a poor credit score, the rate right now would be 620 a month. Wow. Right. So 620, right. 620 versus 450 a month. That's an extra $170 that you're penalized for having that lower credit score. So then take that a step further. Every month you have to pay 170 extra over five years. You end up spending an extra $10,000 for the Camry. (laughs) The same car, the same car, but because you had a poor credit score, uh, that car, instead of costing 24000 just went up to 34000 plus the interest on the loan, right? Yeah. Um, which is ironic, right? Because people who have the worst credit get penalized, have to pay the extra money, which in the future makes them more likely to suffer a hardship. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bad situation to get yourself into um, that can spiral out of control pretty quickly. Yeah. And hopefully just listening to this and hearing about how important credit is, it makes us just more aware. As you yeah, said. and especially in college where, you know, most people here at the university are renting a house or an apartment with three or four of their friends. You know, if you're the one who puts the, you know, internet or Comcast bill in your name and one of your roommates doesn't give you the money on time so you don't pay, that affects your credit score, not your roommate. Right? And so it's these little things early on that could, that could have a negative impact down the road. Yeah. And that's very relevant to a lot of people living on this campus. So you mentioned, you know, renting roommates with friends kind of leads into our next question. Renting versus buying. What are your thoughts and why? So I don't think I have a good answer here. Um, I think I'm going to take the professor out and say (laughs) that it depends. Right. I think that's that's my my response here. I guess the most generic response I could give is renting makes sense when you're young and you don't have money. And buying may make sense when you're older and you have some capital. And and the reason that's so important, if you're young and you saved up just enough money to buy the house, well, that doesn't mean you should buy it because buy that house, ultimately something breaks. You need more money to pay to get that fixed. So I think when you're younger and you have a limited savings, renting makes sense. 
That way, when whatever it is that you're renting breaks or whatever you're leasing breaks, someone else is responsible for dealing with the repairs. Um, there's also reasons, you know, depending on the people that are listening to this, what they plan to do when they leave the university. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, in a lot of cases, renting, whether it's office space or an automobile, it creates a larger deduction from a tax perspective. And mm-hmm. so there's some interconnectedness here with other parts of finance that ultimately shape should you rent or buy. So sorry, I'm not giving you a direct answer, um, but it really does just depend. Yeah, no, that was helpful. Thank you. And also thinking about individuals either recent looking to graduate soon or young adults, should individuals be thinking about retirement now? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so one of the first things I learned was that time matters in a really big way. And right now for the people listening, time's on your side. Right? I'm guessing the audience dialing in here is somewhere in their young 20s. Um, so, you know, I, this is tough with a podcast, but I'll try to use some numbers <laughs> anyway. Imagine it, the next 20-year period, right? So there's two students, and the first student, the next 20-year period, for the first 10 years, they put away $2,000 a year. So they save $2,000 a year for 10 years, and then from year 11 to 20, they just leave it alone in the account. So they've put away $20,000 total in the first 10 years. The second student, for the first 10 years, does nothing. But then from year 11 to 20, says, I need to catch up. Mm-hmm. Right? I need to catch up with my, the person sitting next to me. They're going to need to put away 4000 a year wow, to get to the same place as that other student. Right? And so double exactly, right? Just to play catch up, not to do better then. Wow. Right. And so time is your most precious asset right now. The sooner you start saving, the more compounding can work for you and benefit in the long run. So yes, retirement planning, even though you're only 22 years old, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that uh, you want to think about retirement. It's just that you, you want to understand the sooner money starts going into that account, the larger that account ends up being when you ultimately need the money. Yeah, no, and that's really important, especially looking into first jobs or how to set those things up. So in preparation for today, I saw on your page, you talked about this $1 million coffee concept. And I'm really excited to hear you explain to us what this Mm. is. So this is... So I I teach out of Purnell Hall, uh, and right next to Purnell Hall is Smith Hall, where there's a Starbucks. (laughs) And I walk by Starbucks every day, and there's sometimes 50 students in line (laughs) waiting 30 minutes to get a coffee, which it's just coffee, right? They're not giving away gold. It's liquid gold, right? right? (laughs) Exactly. You would think that they're giving away gold. And so I've witnessed, I watch this every single day, and every once in a while I'll get coffee there. And... It's interesting. I grew up in a world where coffee was 50 cents for a cup. And now we're in a world where Starbucks charges $5, right? Or $6 if you get the mocha. I don't even, I don't know what that stuff means, right? But (laughs) there are these really expensive coffee drinks and I see students buying it all the time. And so I put up on the website and this is not to bash Starbucks, right? Um, But I put up on my website that tab to show you what if instead of spending $5 a day at Starbucks, you put $5 a day into a savings account. And if you do the math, that comes out to about a million dollars when you retire. So just putting that $5 a day into an account instead of 
buying Starbucks gives you close to a million bucks when you retire. And then the other thing on that website talks about a 401k account, which if you're unfamiliar with when you go to work, most, most likely the company you work for is going to offer you a 401k account, which is probably the best investment out there because they're going to match what you put into it. So if you put a dollar in, your employer puts a dollar in. Your money just doubled instantly, right? <laughs> that, that investment doesn't exist on Wall Street. So <laughs> this, is a great, this is a great product. And so if you take it a step further, if you put $5 a day into that account and the employer puts $5 a day into it, well, now when you retire, it's closer to $2 bucks that's sitting there. Wow. So that was the million-dollar coffee idea, just to, to try to make the point to the students that are standing in that line every day that this this is costing them a million dollars. Wow. You're walking around with a million-dollar <laughs> cup right. of coffee, right? Yeah. And it's another example of the little decisions you can make over time can help add up to something really substantial later on. That's right. Make your coffee at home. Yeah. No, that's great. So for some of our listeners, what resources would you recommend to help them learn more about finances or financial literacy? Yeah. So I think for just some basic personal finance, there's a website called Nerd Wallet, which I think is a great website for, for the basics. Um, so that's, that's where I would say to start. Ultimately, what happens with, with most people when they start researching this stuff, they want to learn more about investments. At some point, that becomes the next step. So I would say start at Nerd Wallet, and then when it comes time, you want to learn a little bit more about the investing side, go to investopedia.com. So nerdwallet.com and investopedia.com would be my two uh, recommendations. Plus, there's lots of really good podcasts out there, which are great if you're at the gym um, for listening to. Yeah, that's awesome. And just as a nice way to wrap all of this great information up, what are three financial planning tips you wish someone had told you when you were younger? So the number one tip I wish I was told was start saving as soon as you get out of college. You're going to leave UD and you're going to, this is sad, but probably work for 45 years. (laughs) And so if you start saving that very first year, And in particular, if you start saving with that very first paycheck, it's money that you've never earned. And and what I mean by that is if you leave UD and you take that first job and you say, just give me everything, pay me the full check, you're going to take that full check and you're going to spend it. All right. And then two years later, you're going to go, all right, I need to start saving. Then it's a harder decision to make because you've grown accustomed to spending that money. Whereas the student who just starts saving their first paycheck right out of school, you know, if the paycheck's a thousand dollars and you only get nine hundred because you put a hundred aside, you don't know any better. Right. right. You're used to the nine hundred. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so as you progress through your careers, it's some percentage that you're saving and you really just you know, you get your raise, but you only get ninety percent of that raise. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you just you never start experience. You never have to make that tough decision. So I think that's the, the number one thing I would tell everyone. Start investing as soon as possible um, so that you, you don't have to make that tough decision later on. I would say whatever it is you're putting your money into, uh, the more boring it is, the pro- probably the better it is. All right. And <laughs> boring so is good. <laughs> boring when it comes to investments and figuring out what to invest in. If it sounds cool or if it sounds interesting. I would say don't do it, right? (laughs) If it sounds really, really boring and you think your college professor would like it, it's probably something that's a good decision. (laughs) And so 
There's lots of boring investments out there, like index funds, really boring stuff. I think they're great. <laughs> um, so I'd say keep it simple. Invest as soon as possible. Uh, and then I think the, the first two things to wrap your head around would be how compound interest works and how taxes work. I think those two things are good building block to, to really exploring financial literacy and, and to getting a better handle on personal finance. Yeah, and great timing with tax season, you know, just wrapping up with us. Um, but Richard, thank you so much for sharing all of this great insight with us today. And listeners, thank you for checking in to the Uplift podcast series. Come back regularly to quads.org for more Uplift podcasts. We'll be covering many new and exciting topics with experts such as Richard to help improve your health and well-being. Richard, thank you so much again. That's oh, my pleasure. <laughs>